God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. As always, my name is Mark Sertega and I am joined by the one and only Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? One and only, huh? Well, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of Lisa Spencers out there in this world, but I will accept uh, some uniqueness in this Lisa Spencer. So, Wait, you, you think there's other Lisa Spencers? I don't think there's any other Lisa Spencers out there. You are <laughs> Well, the... with the name, but not with the package. Let's put it No. That sounded kind of arrogant, actually. You know, I'm not <sighs> trying to... I'm not trying to do that, but <laughs> oh man, still a little be doing an, there. <laughs> be doing an episode on humility here pretty soon after that one. Oh my goodness! Well, Lisa, it's great to be with you today. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on the air. Last time we were here, we were praying for Ukraine, and uh, unfortunately, things have continued to get worse yeah. over there. And um, so, I, I encourage people just because we're going to be switching back to our our series in systematic theology and the image of God and justice and race and all of the things that we've been talking about for these last couple seasons doesn't mean that we are not still monitoring what's happening there and praying. And I encourage you to be praying with us. Um, Lisa, how, I'm curious, um, has your church responded to this in any way? Um, maybe in the service and special times of prayer or anything like that? Like, what does that look like down where you're at? Well, we do have a, you know, there is a prayer time in the service. And so during that prayer time, naturally, um, the, you know, prayers for Ukraine come up. Yeah, we've we've been doing that as well. You know, actually, we I, I've been replacing um, or actually not even replacing. I, I We still do the prayer kind of surrounding the the collection for the offering. But after that, before we get into announcements and all that, because we do announcements right in the center of the service, oh, um, we, we do that. Well, that's because people show up 10 minutes late and then they complain that they don't know what's going on. So we're like, you know what? All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm sure no other church in the world knows what I'm talking about there. That's just me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, um, but what we've done is is before we get to that and bef- actually before we have the kids. So the kids in our church, they start worship with us in the in the service and they they do the songs, they do the prayers. Um, they they do the, re- the reciting of the Westminster Shorter Catechism um, Lord's Prayer, all those things that we do, and then they leave for Sunday school during the sermon. Um, but we've been doing this this concentrated prayer for Ukraine um, during the you know before we dismiss them, so that they're able to be a part of it as well. Because our kids see this, they see what's going on. They they may not have a, they don't understand it. I'm sure to the level that adults would, and although I'm not sure that adults really understand fully what's going on over there. Um, but they need to see that we care and that we're praying together. And so, you know, allowing the children of our church 
that opportunity is important. And, uh, you know, one of my roles at my church is I, um, and in my denomination, is I'm on the committee for our global missions work at the denominational Presbyterian church levels. And so um, when it came to the our church's response to Ukraine, um, I've been pretty involved with that. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a painful couple weeks, a really mm-hmm. painful couple weeks. Um, and, you know, it, it, it reminds me just how inadequate our prayers are and yet how more than adequate our God is to be able to respond with our inadequate prayers. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way that my, my senior pastor, John Torres put it. And so, um, yeah, difficult time, difficult season, but we're, we're going to go in a different direction today. And really Lisa, this is the beginning of a series of conversations around human sexuality and the image of God. Um, this has been a topic that we have not really touched on yet. Um, and, and there's reasons for that. I don't think that we are in disagreement on the vast majority of, of the issues involving sexuality, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, all of that. But it's a difficult topic. And so wonder, I wonder, Lisa, by way of introduction, why is the topic of human sexuality one that is so important today? Why, why are we... Why do we need to spend not just one, but a handful of episodes talking through these issues? Sure. Well, you know, let's take take us back to how we started the season, right? And talking about the image of God and talking about the goodness in God's creation and how he created man and how he created woman. And then we hear recently, in recent episodes, we've um, talked about, you know, we started on this path of, Let's look at how sin has distorted God's good intentions, God's good creation. And particularly with humans, it's important for us to understand and talk about, you know, how that has impacted us, how that has impacted how we even see ourselves related to gender, related who to who God has made us as man and as woman. Um, Because sin has definitely impacted that. And I don't think we are in disagreement, right? Most Christians, I don't, well, yes, the lion's share of Christians, you know, I don't have any empirical evidence, but I would say pretty much all Christians can agree, yes, sin has distorted the way that we see things. And we can look at our world. We can look at our broader culture and see how that happens. But when it comes to, well, how do we talk about that in the church? How, you know, how do we talk about this in a way that is, that gives people dignity while also affirming the faithfulness of scripture? And that's where I think things can break down. So, um, yeah, so that's why I think it's important for us to talk about not only because it's just because of the reality of it, right? The reality of the impact of sin on gender and sexuality, but yeah, yeah, but also 
um, just because of the contentiousness with which these issues um, bring. I mean, contentiousness is, is absolutely there. I mean, anytime you start going towards the topic of uh, sex, sexuality, we've talked a little bit about gender and, and sexuality conversations, specifically within the PCA, but kind of this broader design of gender, we've talked about that. We haven't gotten a whole lot into God's design for sexuality. You know, why did he create sexual creatures? Why didn't he just create, um, you know, a bunch of asexual people who could, in, a, in an asexual way, reproduce? Um, other creatures exist this way. He could have done it, and yet he chose to do this. So our sexuality and, and being sexed, being male and female, matters to God's creation. It matters to how he's, how he's made us. But it is incredibly difficult to talk about without running into a ton of taboos on one side. Don't talk about X, Y, or Z because it's not proper or it's not you know, kind of a very Victorian view of sexuality on, on one side. And then another side where if, if you disagree with anybody's individual choices around gender and sexuality, you're, you're kind of labeled a hate monger or a... You know, there's, there's these two extremes on both sides, and I think a lot of folks in the middle don't know how to talk about these things anymore because the extremes own the microphones. Mm-hmm. And, and so those of us in the middle who are like, we want to be able to talk about sex and, and sexuality and gender and God's design for all of this, I, I know I personally feel way out of my depth and, and not just in the topic, but in how to speak about it, because I don't want to be hurtful, and Christians have been hurtful, and I don't want to be flippant, because that's becoming a new vogue thing to do now, is just kind of flippantly talk about these things like they don't have scriptural weight to them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy uh, conversation to have, in, in my opinion, but I think, you know, there are some important... Um, We've talked about the larger catechism before, and, and there's a couple of important principles here that I think should help guide us to be able to talk well. One of them is in uh, question and answer 135. What does the sixth commandment require? Our speech and behavior should be peaceful, mild, and courteous. Um, I don't hear, uh, well, I'll just say this. I hear a lot of people talk about the issues of sexuality and ignoring all of that, ignoring being peaceful with their speech, ignoring being uh, mild and courteous. I do see them doing what 136, what the commandment forbids, speaking in a provocative way is forbidden. Um, I see some of that. I, I don't often see the kindness that's required to be able to talk about these things well. Um, you know, there's just... There's so much in the sixth commandment that before we can get to the seventh commandment, when it comes to human sexuality and, and the larger catechism spends some time, like it's thou shalt not commit adultery, but the catechism takes us into some detail here of what's included in this commandment. But we got to remember the sixth commandment first, and we, we don't want to hurt people with our words unnecessarily. Um, and, and flippancy or, meanness and i just keep coming back to meanness because it don't people are mean about this sometimes um 
it just gets in the way of the actual progress we're trying to make in having conversation about sexuality. Yeah. And I think a big part of that, too, is that, you know, when you look at what is going on in the broader culture, not that it's new. I mean, look, if you do a background uh, study on the Greco-Roman world, um, like they're at the writing, the time of the writing of the New Testament, you'll find some, uh, you know, a lot of debauchery. Right. And I think because we have been so protected um, by that, by depravity at that level, that when you see what has, what is, you know, how the acceptability of, you know, of, of deviations from God's design for sexuality, right? When you see that, and, you know, even when you look at Romans 1, and then it's this, oh, no, we've got to do something, you know, and especially when you look at what's happening, you know, because there are legal legal ramifications now, right, that are coming against people who take stands. Um, you know, we can look at what's going on with the, you know, with the bakers who don't want to bake a cake because that is associated with participating in a same-sex marriage, right? We can look at what is come, what is happening in, in our institutions, um, where there, you know, there's a normalization of, you know, homosexuality, a same-sex marriage, um, and even, you know, what what the Equality Act. That's that's a normalization. You know, you can't even turn on TV. Um, now, you know, I don't watch much TV, but there are, when I do, it's like the shows that I watch, there's, now there has, it seems like there has to be some type of representation of where our larger society is with regard to sexuality. So it's, you know, so the church, so on one hand, I, I get it. You know, I get that we're looking at this and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is really descending upon us. And then you have within the church, you have a, uh, you know, we could look at what's gone, what's happened with mainline denominations and sort of, you know, following this trajectory of acceptance, but even within evangelical churches, there are, you know, people who have come out to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with, with same-sex marriages. So you have this combination of, of factors, I think. The, you know, what's going on with the broader culture, what, how that is impacting our position in society as Christians. Um, how is that, how is that impacting the church? And then a fearfulness of the church kind of following along suit. And so that, that just creates, I think, and, you know, unless you're able to really be reasonable and talk through it. And, and again, standing on scripture, standing on, um, you know, adhering to biblical faithfulness, I, I think it just, it, there's just, it, it's a recipe for the contention that we see, not to mention the fact that what social media has done with our 
discourse with our conversation and that sort of amplifies, I think, the contention because now we have less of an ability to really, you know, to talk, to, to really talk through these issues in a way that doesn't, um, that you don't discount the image of God, right? But also you want to address the issues with biblical faithfulness. That's hard. I mean, yeah, and, and, and so you have this, you have the fear of the culture, you have the, the confusion within the larger evangelical church, um, but I also think in addition to that, you have the, um, uh, at least I feel this, a profound hypocrisy in speaking to the world about their sexual ethic mm. when it seems almost weekly we find out that our house is not in order um and and i'm we're going to do a whole episode on this but i'm talking especially about sexual abuse and the way that sexual abuse has been taking place i mean i remember people used to think this was a catholic thing and they would blame mm -hmm. things like the the um, sacrament of celibacy they say well it's, this is all happening because of celibacy and da 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 and then what we're in the midst of this massive reckoning around sexual abuse in the in the broader evangelical church um, the ACNA is going through this the PCA the SBC um, you know this this isn't a an isolated person here or there. This seems to be a, a large sweeping reckoning that the Lord is bringing to his church around issues of sexual abuse. And it makes it very difficult for me to look at the world and say, hey, you got to get your sexuality straight when I'm a part of a, a culture, and that's what evangelicalism is. I'm in this culture that has a whole lot of skeletons that are being pulled out of closets right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking some of the biggest names that evangelicalism has ever produced. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so when you add that wickedness that has come out of the church into the mix, it does become difficult to, you know, get super dogmatic about issues of sexuality because it feels like, well, who are we to say anything right, right now? Exactly. But the Bible does say things right now. And so it's like this, how do we, I, I, I struggle to balance that. I, I don't want to deny what the scripture says, but I also am like, I don't know that we have the right to speak right now. And yet we kind of need to, I don't know. I'm, it's, yeah. it gets all jumbled up. And for me, it's, it, it, it's both. It's like, if we, if we don't speak about the immorality inside the church in the same breath that we talk about the immorality outside the church and especially since if there's anybody that's supposed to be you know adhering to god god's you know moral ethics it's the church right and so when we see this it's like yeah we have to we have to address that too um, and I know it's hard, especially in our, again, in, in our culture with, with how discourse goes and particularly on social media, but it has to be addressed. You cannot be concerned 
about the sexual immorality that is descending on the church from without and not address the sexual immorality, which by the way, is more than adultery and fornication, right? That also includes, includes sexual right. abuse. You right. cannot address the outside when you have, you're right, when you have sexual immorality going on on the inside. Um, yeah. So we have, so we have to give that the same voice and attention. That's because how else are we going to be taken seriously? You know? Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's the, it's the log in the spec, you know, like there's a, there's a sense in which, yeah, we, we, we have a big log in our eye right now that we've got to deal with. Um, and it's also something I've been starting to tell my congregation a little bit more recently is, you know, expect the world to be the world. Expect the world to be, don't be surprised when the world does sinful things. It's the world that expect the world to be the world. But you were right when the church participates in this kind of wickedness, when we're talking about something as, as evil as sexual abuse, oh my goodness, like that, that should be loudly condemned, um, wherever it is seen and, and not, not hidden, not covered up, not explained away. And, and the stories that we are hearing are, are just bone chilling that major ministries would rather preserve the reputation of the ministry um, than protect women and children who have been victimized, keep them from even becoming victimized. Um, you know, in Second Timothy, Paul talks about how um, he is in chains for the gospel, but that the gospel cannot be bound. Um, and these ministries and these pastors are acting as if, as if allowing their ministry to go by the wayside, as if admitting, Hey, we did something wrong and we need to shut it down. And we need to let, as if their failure somehow stops the gospel from going forth, mm -hmm. that they are so necessary to God's gospel work in this world that they can't possibly allow a leader to fall that has done something terrible um, so cover it up and explain it away and and further the abuse of the victim to protect what? They say it's to protect the gospel, but that's just a lie. The gospel cannot be bound. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a you know it's it's a difficult topic and and I think you know one of the other things that's that's hard for me is um, you know the the evangelical culture I grew up in, was um, heavily complementarian, but in, in a cultural way. Um, so uh, not not so much addressing issues of ordination, right? Um, but just in in uh, this is what a man should be, this is what a woman should be. And it really was kind of a 1950s trope of what a man and a woman were to look like. And um, for some personal reasons and things I saw in my own household and and... You know, just instinctively, I have always pushed back on that. I have instinctively always been uncomfortable there. But it has left me um, struggling to answer the question, well, then, what does it mean to be a man? And what does it mean to be a woman? Is it, is it always culturally defined? Is it bad to be culturally defined? Does the Bible have any... Um, 
you know, long-standing eternal truths about what it is to be male and female. We know he made us this way on purpose, that this is not an accident. I Is it only for procreation? Does it go beyond that? The, these questions are ones that I, I know certain sections of evangelicalism have great answers for, because they just point back to the 1950s and say, there you go, it's the leave, leave it to beaver world, and, and that's what it's supposed to look like. Um, but, you know, I, I affirm wholeheartedly that marriage is to be between a man and a woman, that sexuality is to be enjoyed within the marriage covenant, um, that God has made us male and female. Um, I, I affirm all of this. I don't know how to explain, and this is maybe unnerving for people to hear because I'm a pastor, um, but I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way. Um, I struggle to get much further than that because I don't know how to define some of these things. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Um, how do we live out our, our sexuality and our gender rightfully before the Lord? Um, I've heard a lot of answers, but they've been cultural mainly. And, and maybe cultural answers dressed up to be biblical answers, but really when you drill down their cultural answers it's made it hard for me to have some of these conversations because i feel like i i i know what it's not i think but i'm not so sure i know what it is and that's been that's made it difficult yeah no i no i hear you and you know and unfortunately again getting back to the discourse and the impact of social media on our discourse is that it really doesn't take like you can wrestle with something right um like you're you know we're talking about you know how much of how we define what it means to be a man you know we talk about biblical manhood biblical womanhood how much of that is really defined by our um i would say culture it you know whether it be the broader culture or our internal subcultures because that is uh, that that has some bearing as well, um, but to even you know, it, it it's gotten to the point that one thing that makes it so difficult is just even wrestling with the question, get you assigned a label, get you assigned to a you know to a particular camp, and I really wish we would stop doing that, right? Unless someone makes it very abundantly clear. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on this side of the equation, right? And that's, on, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, full-blown, um, you know, liberal tendencies or very conservative tendencies, right? Um, I think you're right that a lot of us are in the middle. We, we recognize that, yes, there are differences between men and women, but how, you know... How much of that is, you know, how much of that do we accept? How much of it do we, um, or, or do we assign to script? How much is undergirded by scripture, right? I think these are, these are legitimate questions that we need to ask without the rush to judgment. Well, and, and I think it also requires that we at least, maybe for the last few minutes here, talk about God's initial design for sexuality before we get into the many ways that sexuality has been twisted and perverted by sin. Um, 
you know, it, it is, it's a, it is a brief look through, um, the Westminster larger catechism. Um, this is questions, uh, 144 and 145. What are the, what are the sins here that are forbidden? And 145 is a long list of sins and, and the way that sin has impacted human sexuality. But I think also, you know, we have lost in the discussion around what we're against talking about sexuality and sex. We've lost what we're for. What is the design? What did God create sexuality to be? And so, Lisa, when you think about that question and God's design for sexuality, um, you know, we, we can go back to, to Genesis 1 and 2 and the initial creation of this. And, and what are some observations that you make from Genesis 1 and 2, particularly around God's design for sexuality? Well, you know, the most obvious to me is that when he says, let us make man in our image, and so he created them male and female, right? And so man and woman are both equally valued as image bearers. But not only that, is that he gave the command to both to mm, go, right. you know, to be fruitful and multiply, to, um, you know, to, to be the, the stewards over his creation. Um, yes, man was created first. And, you know, I think there that's, a legitimate conversation to have how much does creation order come into bearing especially when you look at you know so what's going on in all 66 books right but the foundation of what got created who got created us to be we we have our roles together and we can look at that yes as a um you know as a marriage covenant but I look at Genesis 1 and 2 and I see something broader than marriage. Yes, it obviously absolutely does apply to marriage, but there's also a greater application to me about man and woman working together, not, you know, outside of the marriage covenant for the, the stewardship, for the fruitfulness of, um, you know, of God's creation. Well, and I think, you know, that mutuality between the, the male and the female in the garden um, isn't violated by a change in relational dynamics, right? So you, you have, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The mutuality that is there um, between the man and the woman in the garden, the, the fact that they both receive the covenant or the, the command from God together um that doesn't change when marriage is brought in. That doesn't change when dating is brought in. Um, you know, the, the, the togetherness, the, the equality, even if you hold to a complementarian framework where there is a, a, a particular role that is played in the marriage, for example, um, the mutuality is still there. It's, at least it should be, you know, a true complementarian view, not this kind of... Well, I don't want to say a true complementarian view because it, it, there are those who would argue complementarianism is the is the twisting of a traditional view. Let's call it the traditional view um, of the role that a that a man and a woman would play in a marriage. The mutuality has to remain. 
the the equality has to remain the the equal dignity equal respect equal image bearing between man and woman has to be there um and that does apply to the marriage bed as well as any other part of the marriage and and that's one of the things that i think before we can get into the ways that sexuality has been twisted we have to say well what was the purpose for sexuality in the first place um it is a recognition of need and mutuality between each person. You know, the, this is the, the man needs the woman, the woman needs the man. That's, that is a, a necessity for a good, healthy sexual relationship. It is for procreation, go forth and, be, and, and multiply, right? Procreation is, is a part of it, but it's not the only thing. Like it's, you know, if, if, if that were the case, then older couples would just, I guess be done no more need because procreation can't be a thing well that's unbiblical that's not a that's not a part of 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 scripture so you go to the song of psalms and uh, song of songs and and um pleasure is certainly involved in the way that sexuality is described there i know it's a metaphor but it it's it's not it doesn't strip out the erotic side of of the poem and and there's a worshipful element to this as well that the that sexuality is enjoyed within a marriage gives glory to god mm-hmm. um there are these multiple facets to human sexuality and each of them is perverted by sin you know when when mutuality is 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 ripped apart that's where you get abuse when the need for the man and the woman to be together, the need for one another, when that is removed, you end up with things like homosexuality. Um, when worship is not, um, you know, it, it, when, when the glory of God is not the goal of the marriage in every facet, including sexuality, that's when you get fornication and promiscuity. Like, the, it's when these things are violated, the designs of God's sexuality are violated, that you get to these sins. We have to recognize his design first, and we're so squeamish to talk about it right. um, that I think it leads to a lot of the confusion because we don't talk about the goodness of it. We don't talk about the the initial designs for it, and it leaves us in a lot of confusion. I mean, it leaves a lot of teenagers in confusion. I remember growing up in youth group, man, and like it was a you know there were a whole lot of don't do's. But there weren't a whole lot of here's why, here's the design, here's the... It was just, no, that's just for marriage. Don't do any of that. And it was, you know, they they walking around with like a, like, you know, a spray bottle and cats. Just, no, stop, no, no. Well, you know, that, that doesn't create a healthy image of what God has designed. And I think, I think a lot of people are operating with that dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, that's good stuff. I'd have to say that I, I agree with it. And, um, you know, we'll we'll be talking more and particularly in the episode in the next episode about how that, um, you know, how that distortion has been um, imposed on how we even view man and how we even view woman that creates the, the kind of, you know, abuses where it's, you know, if sexuality was, you know, meant to be a beautiful thing in marriage, then there's a way in which it, it becomes ugly by assigning blame 
to the, you know, who would be considered the disruptors of it. And that's, that's where I think you really get the abuse and objectification, um, primarily of, of women. I, I guess the same thing could happen with men. But in, in our case, I think what we've mainly seen is how that has happened with women. Um, and it's a distortion. It's a perversion of, of God's good design. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And that's not a unique American thing either. I mean, we no. we have dealt with this mess since the beginning of the church. You go to some of the church fathers and you read their um, their interpretation of what the forbidden fruit is. And uh, many, particularly in the medieval church, but you also get it in the in the early church, they would say, well, that is Eve's sexuality. Mm. It's the woman. She herself is the forbidden fruit, which, of, of course, you can't get from actually reading Genesis 3 with a straight reading of the text. Right. But, oh, my goodness, like, it, yes, the the twisting of this has often been used to um, turn women into the cause of sin, to make her temptress, to make her threat to the man. Um, you know, it, it is just a, it's a mess, the way that a... Uh, preconceived, this is a lotus ter loaded term, but a preconceived sexist view of the Bible can lead us to misread the Bible altogether because we're bringing these sinful lenses to them and then using the Bible to say, oh, well, my sinful lens is okay. Um, it's, it's a pretty twisted thing that we've done with sexuality. Um, but I, I do think that, and I'm grateful that there are some authors who are, who are, unabashedly saying here is what sexuality is here's what it means to be sexed here's what it means to be male and female here's what it means when male and female are joined together in one flesh in marriage you know these are conversations that we've been on the defensive because of fear of the culture for so long that i think a lot of us have just forgotten what it is we're defending in the first place mm. and um you know, I, I, so I'm, I'm glad for those books that have been coming out, for the authors who are doing this work. Um, we may even be able to talk with a couple of them as we go through this. But it is, like you said, going to get back to what does it mean to be male and female? Like we, we've talked about the gender side of things and the body, like the psychosomatic whole. We've, we've had those conversations. But how do we define what it is to be a man? How do we define what it is to be a woman? And I've got an idea. I don't know if it's going to fly, um, but we'll see. We're going to talk it out, and we're going to see what that looks like. Um, so that, that's where we're headed. We want to be able to talk about these things well. Um, we want to be able to talk about them with, with compassion, and we want to be able to talk about them understanding that there are people on the other side of the issues. Um, these are human beings we're talking about, and so we are going to do our best to obey the sixth and ninth commandments when talking about issues of sex and sexuality. Um, and we're going to do our best not to be provocative about it for the sake of being provocative, because that would violate, uh, the sixth commandment as well. Like we're going to try and do this right. And we may not get it right every time. Um, but we have to be able to talk about this. Cause I think, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a New York thing. So I'll, I'll let you give your last thoughts and answer this as well. I think a lot of people in our churches don't know what to do with these issues anymore. I think they're confused. I think they're lost. I think they're lost by the acronyms that are used. I think they're lost by 
um, the way that we try and have these conversations in a loving way and say, well, does that mean you're affirming or you're not affirming? And all those, like, people are really confused and they need to be able to talk about these things and, and they have to be able to talk about them well. And that's what we're trying to do in this podcast is talk about difficult things well. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of confusion among Christians here in New York about what to do with these issues and what is a Christian view of sex and sexuality. I don't know if you're seeing that same confusion down where you're at in your church, but it's, it is a reality in our congregations. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I don't know if I would call it confusion, um, as, as I would just kind of landing in different places on it. And I, and on one hand being fearful, right? And so on one hand, there's a fearfulness of, oh, we're capitulating too much, to how the broader culture is defining these issues and there but then there's also a fear of because of you know we haven't we don't have the best record in the church of handling you know these issues well there's a fear of being unloving there's a fear of oh my gosh if i if i come down too hard right on and particularly as we do want to take a stand on what scripture says um, if I come down too hard, then I'm, you know, not respecting the person. I'm not, um, you know, I'm going to um, assault, you know, their image bearing. We don't want to do that. But there's a difference between not doing it and, and being fearful of doing that to the extent where we, you know, we may even unwittingly, come, you know, ride a very uncomfortable line between faithfulness and unfaithfulness if that makes sense mm-hmm. well and i think also it's it's a um it's a desire to be able to teach the next generation right so i i see a lot of the the confusion or the the angst around this issue with parents who are like you know mm-hmm. my kids are in school and their friends are coming out as xyz and um like they, they don't, you know, how do I help my kids? How do I talk about this well with them? Because I do think a lot of people are like, we've seen the mistakes we've made in the past. We know our record hasn't been great. We don't want to repeat those mistakes, but we don't know how to talk about this well. Um, I do think that there's a lot of that among parents who are trying to raise kids in a culture that is, um, you know, I mean, close to anarchy around these issues of sexuality and gender is kind of an anything goes type of a, oh, of a culture right is. now. I mean, and... yeah, it absolutely is. When you look at what's going on with transgenderism, and I know we'll talk about that in a, in a, you know, future episode, but you know, the, this idea that children can decide what gender they are. I mean, young as what, five years old? Like, what What did I know at five years old? But yet we're giving the these, you know, the responsibility of the decisions to children and it's to the extent where parents cannot even have a say. And when you look at the, you know, what all is involved in terms of the medical procedure to change the anatomy from one thing to another, I mean, just it, it's it's mutilation of a child, and now now we're being told the parents can't have a say in that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get I get the angst, I get the angst with with parent, you know, particularly that 
you know, these issues and the normalization is descending on children at younger and younger and younger ages. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, parents are, are having to have these conversations before they were expecting to, because it is happening younger and younger. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's in elementary schools, the kids begin to, to learn that certain labels um, are are available to them and they start clinging to them. I mean, you know, that you got grade schoolers uh, coming out as this or that before they have any concept of what sexuality really is. And yet to label oneself is to have worth in our society right now. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a it's a really hard situation for parents who are raising kids and they feel this when like, how do I talk to my kids about this? And, um, you know, the answers that are given aren't often helpful. They're just, you know, it's either point them back to the fifties or it's, you know, scare your kids away from sexuality altogether, which is definitely going to be not helpful. Or it's, you know, just let live and let live. And parents want to be able to do this faithfully. They want to have these conversations. We're going to try and have these conversations. And we're going to start with what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And then, um, and then we are going to, in the future, and we'll give you a heads up with all the trigger warnings and all of that, we are going to talk about sexual abuse at some point because it's going to get... Uh, we have to talk about this. And that's going to be a hard episode um, that I'm, I'm frankly, really not looking forward to. But it's one that we have to address before because it's, it's, it's a major church issue right now. And before we are pointing at homosexuality and transgenderism and those issues, we got to look at ourselves first. So, um, so that's kind of where we're headed over these next few weeks. There may be a week here or there where an episode doesn't come out just like last week. Um, understand that we are, we're trying to have these conversations really well, and that's why we're moving slowly because we want to make sure we have them well. So, uh, please be gracious to us as we get these episodes to you as quickly as we can. Lisa, any last words before we say goodbye for the week? Yes. You know, avoid the rush to judgment, right? Um, because I know even in the course of this conversation, there may have been things that we have said that you know, just where we are in our discourse can, you know, it, it's easy to slap a label on, um, you know, on, on what you're hearing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let, let us talk out these issues. Um, be gracious. Yeah. Amen. I appreciate that. Well, Lisa, thank you for this conversation, the first of many uh, challenging but important ones. And to all of you who are listening, would love to hear your thoughts. You can uh, reach out to us. We're both on Twitter. Shoot us a message on Twitter and let us know um, maybe some of the things that you've been wrestling with as well, because that'll help our conversations. Um, if you're like, hey, we've been wrestling with these facets of things. And so um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next time here at Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. 
Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.